Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way podcast. Uh, thank you again to all of my paid subscribers. Um, anyone that's a paid subscriber is going to get a free uh, signed copy of my new book that will be out probably in October called Essays from a Pandemic. So I make all of the uh, episodes, the podcast episodes free. Um, and so if you, but if you want to get access to my essays and some other content, please be a subscriber, uh, sign up for that. Today, I'm joined by a great friend and uh, one of my clients as well. And we were talking just before I hit record. I don't think I've had a, a client on as a, as a guest. And so it's a special moment. Welcome, John. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Justin. I appreciate you. So John uh, Kormanek is uh, based in Boise, Idaho. He is a uh, lawyer, not practice, currently practicing, uh, who became a coach and um, has a very interesting niche in that he is a lawyer that coaches lawyers. And by coach, it's not a business coach per se or a practice coach. It's essentially a coach for the human side of a lawyer who deals with a lot of burnout. And John's mission is to um, reclaim law as a noble profession, which is pretty badass. There's some other professions that could use that. <laughs> <laughs> when you say it, it sounds badass. When I say it, uh, it's it's um, it's deeply meaningful. Yeah, that's no, good. Well, um, I, uh, I, I the reason I wanted to have you on is is as we've worked together, you. You and I have a the similar idea of that life is supposed to be harmonious, um, and that we have um, a lot of social conditioning around what we perceive to be success. Um, and so, the topic that I wanted to talk about is that, like redefining success. Um, we live in very interesting times because. There's a lot of people with money that are burnt out and bored. And then there's this somewhat massive and growing socioeconomic gap where, you know, that the idea of it would be nice that, you know, what they would, their version of success is to get to a point of being maybe burnt out and bored. Um, and so there's this redefinition of everything going on right now. And so that's why I wanted to have you on to, to talk about that idea. So I'll lead right out with. What is the John Cormanick definition of success? Yeah. Um, first of all, I think the opportunity here is great with all this redefinition. Mm -hmm. uh, I will say that. And second of all, for anyone who's going to listen to this, it doesn't matter what my definition of success is. <laughs> what matters is your own definition of right. success. But here's how I define success for myself. It is a way of moving through the world authentically in, a, in such a way as to impact people's lives in a positive way. Mm. That if, if, I can, if I can lay my head on my pillow every night at nine o'clock mountain time, that's when I go to sleep, nine o'clock. Uh, if I could lay my head on my pillow at nine o'clock mountain time, and think to myself, I made a positive impact in someone's life today. Mm. Then, then that is success for me. Mm. When did you arrive at that kind of definition or realization? What was the, 
was there a moment or was there like, was there like a, a, a crash, a crisis, or was it more of a dawning realization? Mm, that's a great question. You know, I used to be somebody who kept up with the Joneses. Yeah, mm. uh, it was very easy to fall into what I now know is that trap. Um, I was living in Southern California, uh, married, and you know it was very easy to have other people uh, look to other people to define what success was for me. Whether it was explicitly, "Hey, John, you should." or just myself internalizing it. And I think, you know, I think a lot of it had to do with aging up. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I think some more of it had to do with just the, the kind of the personal improvement work that I've done on myself, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's really being, it's becoming comfortable with who you are at the end of the day. And I think that was, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a light switch moment. It was an evolution. And I think that will make it longer lasting for me because it is, it's pretty deeply rooted now. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I'm pretty open about this back in when I still lived in Boise in 20, uh, late 2010, I had a full on meltdown breakdown. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of this decade long uh, journey inward and outward uh, to, to a different level of consciousness and many other changes. And so when I was thinking about redefining success, I've always been kind of an outlaw that way. Like I don't care about stuff. I care about quality. Like I like, I like my Garrison Brothers bourbon. I like my Tacoba boots, you know, like, but everything else, like, in fact, it bothers me when people talk about their stuff. I don't give a shit, you know, mm -hmm. like about your stuff. Um, and I mean, stuff, you know, like uh, boats and, you know, summer homes and things like that. Um, I don't have any class envy. I just don't care. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I think now my definition um, is to, of success is reaching a level of consciousness and resources where you are aware of and control of all of your choices. Mm. That's, that's where it is. And I think you can get to a level of conscious where you, consciousness where you don't have the resources necessarily to control all of your choices that, you know, or you can have all kinds of choice of resources, but have no consciousness. And that's really what kind of consumptive consumerism is, you know, like basically perpetually paying for coping mechanisms to, you know, keep going. And, and I think this is that thing that many people don't really realize about success is both material and mystical. Like there has to be a soul component or what's the point, but also, um, you know, we shouldn't have to take a vow of poverty to listen to our soul. Um, yeah. Well, you know, not everybody. Um, and, and so I, uh, yeah, I think that's my definition of success. And I don't know, I'm curious about this too. I think I knew that all along. I was just sort of thought, well, this is what I had to do because I was a grinder. You know, I came out, I got married very young, no college degree, and got became a father very young, and I was just hustling and grinding. And I, and I kind of bought into that. But underneath it, I knew, like, I knew what success really was. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, I think, I think I, I agree with you. And I also have come to recognize 
that a lot of internal strife that people experience is because of the disconnect. It's because of letting other people define success for them and them really feeling on the inside. Um, no, this, this isn't right. Mm -hmm. Um, and like you said, I mean, you know, if, if you choose to take a vow of poverty, mm -hmm. then that's the choice that you make. You know, we talk all the time. I talk with my clients all the time, you know, I think it was Viktor Frankl who said, you know, th there's one thing that they cannot take away from you. And that's the ability to choose how you respond mm -hmm. to choose. And so it's so important. And I think, I think society in general, and I think quite frankly, lawyers in particular really suffer from that disconnect. Mm. Um, and that's part of my why that's part of my purpose is because it doesn't need to be that way. You know, I practiced law for 24 years. I owned a law firm for 16. I managed people. I've managed people in a healthcare setting. I get it. Mm -hmm. I know. And it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Well, you mentioned about like maturity and, and I think, you know, you look at that both from, you know, just time on the planet, but also like doing the work, the consciousness work is that, you realize that over-identifying with your title is a recipe for suffering. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's, it's that idea of what we do is what we do. It's not who we are. Uh, I think that's especially true with men and, you know, Gen Xers and boomer men, like we there, and that's where like this depression and disconnect comes in. And it reminds me too of, I was talking to someone and he was expressing some concern about his, grandson um not doing well in school and not getting into a good college and which which was this person's like definition of success and i said have you have maybe what if what if the what if you were more focused on having him find out what he's here to do on this planet and then decide from there i mean that's what we did for tens of thousands of years before the industrial age we had these like vision quests and purpose journeys and like you know walking the road to uh what's the place that your your daughter's walking oh the camino de santiago yeah right it's spain some, some variation of that it was then you do this work and then i guarantee you if you find out what you're here to do your definition of success will absolutely change um, yeah. yeah yeah and and it's it's found it's found not in the noise it's found in the quiet yeah well, and as society you know, as a society, you mentioned, you know, you were a grinder. I look, I've been working since I was 14, right? I mean, it's just how we were raised. Yeah. And um the the biggest learning happens in the quiet. Yeah. There's a pull quote. <laughs> That's great. Well, that kind of goes into the next question is you know, a lot of our a lot of our lives, like like I've, I once <laughs> I once observed that a lot of cultures are just a set of lies that we've all all agreed to. Like I was part of a fundamentalist church for many years, and there was a set of things that weren't true. I mean, factually true, um, that we'd all agreed to. And so, lie might be a strong word, but I'm I'm curious about what do you think are some lies that we tell ourselves about success? Some some things that we've, some lies that we've signed up for consciously or unconsciously in the, in the name of quote, uh, pursuit of success. 
Yeah, I think, you know, one lie is that you have to appear to be grinding. Mm. And if you appear to be grinding, then you actually have to be grinding, right? You can't appear to be and not be. <laughs> I think th that is something that is, it's just not, it's not, just not true, right? I talk with clients all the time about capital T true and small t true. Mm -hmm. Capital T true is, doesn't matter where you are on the planet, doesn't matter your education level, doesn't matter your background, the sun rises in the east and it sets in the west. That's yeah. just it. If you're on earth, that's what happens. Yeah. That's a capital T true. Most other things are small T true. So grinding is one of them. Yeah. I, I think another one is um, if it, quiet time is wasted time. Mm. Yeah. And like, like I said, I think quiet time is the most productive time that you could have. If you take yeah. 10 minutes and just sit without anything in your ears and just sit. Yeah. I think you'll you'll come out the other side a different person in yeah. some ways. Yeah. yeah um, meditation, is, meditation is action. Stillness yeah. is action um, because it's a choice. Um, and again, like you said, that's that's hard to do. Any others that come up before I share mine? I think you have to you have to appear to be successful. Right. Yeah, the, the world kind of, success. yeah, the image yeah. of success, right? You got to have the stuff. And we, my wife and I have come to the place in our lives where the, the question we ask ourselves before we purchase anything or choose to do anything is, will this make our life more simple or will it make it more complicated? Yeah. And if it makes it more complicated, then the answer is no. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. I think, um, I think that when we, when we think that way, when we think about, you know, that discernment, that kind of discernment related to the appearance, um, we realize that, you know, I'll make it this way, that a lot of life is performative. You know, yeah, we're having a conversation right now and we're being ourselves, but we're aware that it's being recorded. So there's a part of us that is, you know, maybe a little bit more tuned into being articulate. Um, and so that's okay, that kind of performativeness. But uh, pretense is an invitation to have karma kick your ass. Mm -hmm. um, and yet we have, like one of our deeper social conditionings is this fear that um, people will find out we're sad or broke. You know, like it can't be poor and it can't be depressed because those are the worst things ever, <laughs> you know. And that kind of goes into what I think is as, as a lie is that that happiness is the opposite of depression, and and that depression is something to be treated. Now, if you have clinical depression, yes, treat it. But a lot of times, it's like that saying is it's like before you diagnose yourself with depression, look around, and make sure you're not surrounded by assholes. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of situational depression that we have them in the lies that we we need coping mechanisms for that I even challenged someone the other day that they said that they one of my coping mechanisms one of their coping mechanisms was journalism or journaling and i'm like no that's not a coping that's a regulation mechanism not a coping mechanism um the second one is that activities are substitutes for conversations 
I made the observation with some friends the other night that I don't have any activity-based friendships. I don't have drinking buddies. I don't have golfing buddies. I don't have fishing buddies. No offense to anybody that has those things that I just would much rather have a real conversation that's not organized around an activity, especially if that activity involves a lot of alcohol. That also bothers me too. Um, and I think another lie that we, we kind of tell ourselves is that um, what, what the, the, the emotions that we can't regulate well um, are hidden from others. This, this idea of speaking it to myself or, and you see this, especially with like, you know, my work self and my home self, you know, you're just one human. And if you create back to performative, sometimes you do have to perform, but if you create two different versions of yourself, you're inviting a deep level of dissonance into your life and doing that. And it's probably bullshit. If somebody knows you and says something, um, then and you know and they and they can see it you know they, they mm -hmm. especially if they can read your energy yeah and it's funny because a lot of people fear being seen truly but they don't realize that people with some level of consciousness can see them anyway you know absolutely and you know it's funny you mentioned happiness i had a conversation with a a friend the other day and he you know he just said you know on a scale of one to 100 john let's rate our happiness i'm a 93 he said I said, well, you know, I'm somewhere in the eighties and he's like, how could you, how could you be in the eighties? You're here in the mountains of Idaho. We were on a camping trip. We are here in the mountains. It's beautiful. You know, your relationship's great with your wife, your daughter, you know, all the things, all the outward things. I said, well, it's in the eighties and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm working every day to get to a place where it's improved but mm -hmm. it'll never be a hundred ever um and i'm and i'm okay up. with that yeah it could spike up mm -hmm. big moments if you if you do that inner work you you embrace the big moments but yeah um and the big the big positive feelings but i think that there's i see this in the mindfulness space and coaching space too this sort of uh uh neo-fundamentalism around like a perfectionism like you have to be on or a certain way all the time you're not allowed to have sad days and um i you know i kind of want no not kind of i do want i want to feel the darker emotions because they're the contrast and like Brene brown talks about you cannot selectively feel and not feel things either you feel it all or you feel none of it mm -hmm. and um if all you feel is happiness you're either on something or delusional you have completely bullshitted yourself mm -hmm. um, in that process because we need that contrast how would we know yeah wise you know if that we have something to be happy about that's why i i, I much prefer the word joy because joy yes. is really a soul word so i believe mm -hmm. in like maximum joy i think happiness is an ego word so mm -hmm. like if we were to tweak it, it would be the pursuit of joy, which is very, very different. Like organizing yeah. your life around your purpose, as opposed to the pursuit of happiness, which is a little bit more of that kind of ego-based thing around comparison and, you know, that, the, that happiness is some future state and et cetera, et cetera. So exactly. That's, you know, and we wouldn't listen, we wouldn't know a sunny day from a cloudy day if we didn't have the clouds and we yes. wouldn't know a sunny day 
we didn't know we wouldn't know it was sunny out if we didn't have night. That's and right. I think, you know, I think it's all just so important. Yes, exactly. So the last question to kick around is kind of a sociological question. It's like, what is the overarching, you know, not within your industry or or just but the overarching um social conditioning that created this kind of burnout culture, this uh, this hustle culture. Or somebody jokingly you talked about Gary Vandershock, Gary B. Like, I think he's trying to kill us all. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh, where do you think what contributed to that? What are the so what are the social factors that contributed to this uh pervasive sense of burnout that you see in so many people? Well, I think Steve Jobs was a brilliant man. I also despise him because of the fact that we have a device in our hands all the time. Um, I think that is a, a contributor in the more recent, uh, in the more recent past. I think overall, I think it is, I think it's the lie of the American dream. Mm. Um, you know, you have to, you have to work, you have to appear to work hard mm -hmm. to be a success. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, if you look at, you know, you look at how people talk about natural athletes, for example, oh, they're, they're just a natural. They don't have to work. Well, you know what? There are no naturals on the planet. It takes work, but they do it behind the scenes. And so I think another social aspect of it is, having feeling the need to demonstrate the work that you're doing you know what just go about your darn business just mm -hmm. go about your business you'll you'll get to wherever you get to but there's no reason to have to there's no reason to have to be the loudest person in a room right i just talked to a a client who's a lawyer and we were talking about when they're in meetings they feel an overwhelming urge to have to contribute and so one of the exercises I had them do was for the week in between our sessions was to make a conscious effort to go into meetings and not say anything. And they told me, you know, it was, it wasn't as hard as I thought. Mm. And, I, and I asked, well, why do you think that is? Because it was more authentic for them to be, to be quiet, right? You could be the loudest person in the room or you could be the person that when you speak, people really pay attention because you don't speak very often and you have something to say. I think we need more of that. Mm. I love that. That's such a, such like what I, what I call the hidden obvious, you know, it's like something like that. It's such a powerful idea. Huh? Yeah. I think um, like burnout is, I don't think burnout is possible with physical labor. I think you get tired and you can't do it anymore. And I think the switch over the last 50 years to more the knowledge economy, certainly since the age of the internet, you know, the last 20, 30 years has created the, the brain chemistry conditions for burnout for one thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think there's two specific kind of American, you talked about the American dream and I'm a, I love America. I, you know, we have, we, it's an amazing place, the most diverse, most, in many ways, most diverse 
country on earth and with the greatest opportunity, there's a reason everybody wants to come here and we still have problems that we need to talk about sure. those problems. Yes. You know, from systemic racism to veteran suicides to the cost of prescription drugs, whatever, you know, pick your, pick your thing. But one of the reasons why I think both we can't solve real problems in, in our country very often and why there's so much burnout is there's two distinctly American traits. One is we're very extrinsic. We are outward looking inward only in times of like major crisis. Maybe someone you love gets sick or you find out you have cancer and then you get contemplative. The rest of the time you're looking outward. And the second thing is we're very individualistic. And I think that the outward looking came from pioneer. I mean, unless you're an indigenous or native American, we're all immigrants here. And we're in some way a pioneer, even if some of us, you know, some of our ancestors were brought here un, unwillingly, you know, um, but there was still this sort of pioneer thing where you just, you just um, did what you had to do um, through, in looking at the external world, at the world around you. But what was the counterbalance to that was we had community, mm-hmm. you know, and now we don't, this is why I, be, I really believe in Sebastian Junger's idea of like a two years, two, one or two years of service after high school, mandatory, mm-hmm. either like AmeriCorps, Peace Corps, or the military, because we don't, we have a significantly lower number of people that serve in the military, a significantly lower number of people that work in communal situations like farms and ranches, the way I grew up, where you needed your neighbors. Um, And um, we have a lower number of people playing team sports as well. And so I think what that does is that that combination of extrinsic and individualistic, it makes everything a competition to your point about proving it. It makes everything competitive when it's sometimes it is, sometimes it is a straight line competitive. Some, but sometimes I got to out hustle my competition, whether that's for a promotion or to get a deal or whatever, but those are very short sprints that are temporary. It's similar to what's happened with politics where we've shifted from having opponents to having enemies. Mm-hmm. It's very different, you know, in that because of that spirit, ultimately the spirit of fear and lack that produces a lot of this. Um, right. So that's my like, you know, I have many opinions on this. Some of them break down under scrutiny. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that, but isn't that the, isn't that the magic of paying attention is, hey, you know, I, I have this opinion, but when you are involved in community and you have conversation with people, you can walk away with, you know what? I don't think I was, I don't think I was right. And that's not bad. It's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. It shows the ability to grow and to be part of the planet that you were put on the planet to be part of, you know, it makes it, it makes it so important. You know, I, I truly believe we're all connected to each other. And, and, and I, I agree with you, right? Everything is, everything is not a competition, right? You don't have to keep score all the time. time. Are there times when you do? Absolutely. But you gotta, you gotta be comfortable enough to turn that off. And I think turning that off will lead you to your own definition of success. Again, kind of looping back to where we started. Yeah, absolutely. I have a kind of an unexpected question to kind of close with, which is 
you know, we're both driven people. We're both grind, former grinders. We both have experienced burnout. What is now in your current state of awareness of all this? What's a little like dashboard indicator light that goes off that maybe you need to take a break or, or, you know, like it's just a little warning light for you. When things start to move fast in my head, okay. things will start, they will start to speed up and because I try and be purposeful, right? I try to respond instead of react. And when things speed up, I react. And that's, that's the indicator light on the dashboard. And it just, it happened last week, right? Look, I am a work in progress, man, right? It happened last week. I was speeding up and I reacted to something. The key was after I did that, I was like, oh, wow, hold on. This is what just happened. I need to slow down. I yeah. need to take some time and, and be quiet and slow down. Yeah. And that kind of recalibrates. Yeah, I think it was Buddha, maybe the Dalai Lama, I can't remember, that said, if you're, uh, everyone should spend 30 minutes a day in nature, unless you're busy, then you should spend an hour. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I think for me is something, again, that I experienced last week as well, because I too, am a work in progress. And I'm so grateful for that. Like Michelangelo's last words, where I still have so much left to learn. You know, I don't yeah. want to be a finished product. That's why I don't believe in the idea of full potential. And I, I hope not. You know, there's, we're, we're iterative creatures. Anyway, um, mine is when I associate fatigue with shame. <laughs> that growing up on a ranch, tired usually meant you were weak. If you voiced that you were tired. Um, and there was, it was associated with, my brain is associated that kind of like the ranch or farmer version of hustle culture. Um, that I'll rest when I'm dead. Yeah. You know, from, I think from Roadhouse, <laughs> I'll sleep mm -hmm. it on bed. Um, and so I, I look at that and I realize it's like, wait a minute, if I, if I'm associating that I'm tired and the feeling that being tired brings up is not like compassion or um, maybe sometimes that tenacity, sometimes I do need a kick in the ass, but if it's shame, I need, as you said, I need to stop because something something i'm missing something in that process I, I i'm leaving something out of the recipe that i want my for my life to produce joy yeah um, yeah well as expected this was a fascinating conversation um i love every one of our visits and i'll link to your um your website um in uh in the show notes and um i have a i know i have a few subscribers that are lawyers so hopefully you'll You'll hear from one of them, but I'm very grateful for you. Thank you very much. Justin, thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity and you know that I'm passionate. I'm a passionate person. And so any any opportunity I get to to kind of share my thoughts, I'm I'm thrilled to thrilled to have. Beautiful.